millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme and just let me start by remembering uh, today the six people who sadly lost their lives on this day in 2011, as well as the six who were injured when the Mannix 2 commuter aircraft travelling from Belfast to Cork crashed in dense fog. It was on its third attempted landing at uh, Cork Airport and actually I saw that tweet go up on at Cork Airport uh, this morning where they say always remembered by those on duty on that uh, fateful day and I kind of was taken aback so what was that 2011 I remember it so well because I remember we were on air as that story was unfolding and we were getting reports of people saying something's happened at the airport and people could see the emergency services heading to the airport and we were trying to get the information and then we found out that a plane had crash landed and we were hopeful that everyone would be okay and then of course as the hours uh, went on it uh, we, d- we discovered that lives had been lost uh, the the uh, six people had died and six more were uh, injured. So we're thinking of all of them uh, today and indeed all of those who worked in all of the emergency services and everyone at the airport. It was a very, very difficult day for them back in 2011. Now on to a lighter note. Yesterday, was it yesterday on the programme I spoke with a lovely lady, Helen. We'd been speaking with Bishop Paul Colton it was on, on Tuesday. We've been spe- speaking with Bishop Paul Colton. Uh, Bishop Paul joined us because he's trying to solve the Shandon mystery. They're trying to find out. They believe that they, the church, St Anne's Church, is 300 years, but they're trying to get exact dates of is it 300 years since they started work on it or is it actually 300 years since it's consecrated? And he was calling it the Shandon mystery. And we were speaking with him about what information that he had and putting the call out to historians and anyone who might have read old history books where there might have been a reference page to St uh, Anne's and seemingly they're doing really well they're getting a lot of information and they're hopefully going to solve the mystery of Shandon and exactly how old is St Anne's but that then led to a lovely lady called Helen contacting us to tell us about her uncle and how he made an exact replica of the Shandon bells out of matchsticks and I was absolutely intrigued by it and she promised to send on photographs well Helen's sister Teresa thank you Teresa yesterday afternoon sent on a WhatsApp with uh, photographs of her uncle Jeremiah O'Hara who used to make a lot of buildings. It wasn't just 
the Shandon ones he made a number of them out of matchsticks uh, Teresa in her WhatsApp said he was truly gifted sending you on photographs of the Shandon bells he made all bearing in mind they're all made from matchsticks he's now in his 90s he's a resident in St Finbar's elderly care he raised thousands of euros over the years and he was very passionate about supporting the children's leukaemia ward at the Mercy Hospital and he gave 26,000 euro to Marymount before he himself went into St Finbar's he's motto is I came into the world with nothing. If I can help those less fortunate than me while I'm alive then I will. What a great motto. What a wonderful man Jeremiah O'Hara is. And uh, she, Teresa says there aren't many people like him out there anymore. Uh, indeed they're not. And to thank you for reading this. And if anyone would like to send him a card, Teresa said you can pop a card in the post to St Finbar's. Uh, I'm sure he would really appreciate it. He's a resident in St Catherine's Ward if um, people would like to, to do that. But thank you Teresa for sending on really stunning photographs and you can see the detail and the amount of time that Jeremiah would have put into making the replica it really is quite stunning so we're putting it up on all of our different social media feeds so if you're in on social media uh, check it out at uh, C103 Cork just to see those photographs because they really really are uh, stunning now we're keeping a close eye in case anything don't know if anything's going to break this morning or not but more than 400 million euro worth of measures that is seemingly what the government will be playing around uh, with and they're going to use that money to try to reduce the cost of living and how that money is going to be passed on to people who need it most is going to be announced by the government today. It's part of, uh, as part of it, a significant increase in the new household electricity credit. That's what that's now it's being in called. That could now be as high as €227. The coalition's range of proposals is aimed at reducing the financial burden on families posed by what are now rocketing cost of living. Department officials have been discussing proposals to try to help householders and this is the head of the Cabinet Committee on Economic Recovery and Investment. Now they are the Cabinet Committee that are meeting today along with the coalition leaders, the Finance and Public Expenditure Ministers Pascal O'Donoghue and Michael McGrath. They will all be signing off on those plans today. Government sources according to the papers today have indicated that the only universal measure, this is the measure that will be paid to every single household, this is the electricity one it it was initially planned that every household would get €100 Euro, and then we were told that would work out at €113.50 Euro because they were giving you the VAT on it uh, as well and that is due to be applied to all electricity bills in March and that seemingly, that will be the only universal one that will be mentioned today but the add-on to that is a senior source is saying nothing has been decided yet but there's a lot of speculation and I know it certainly was something that Leo Varadkar and Fine Gael were pushing for to double that credit. So doubling that uh, credit, they double the €100 Euro aspect to 200 but you'd also have a doubling of the VAT. So that would work out at €227 Euro, and that would be given to every single household in the country. The criticism of that particular universal payment though, it will go to, to very wealthy people who really don't uh, need it. It'll also go to people say who have a holiday home, their main residents will get it but their holiday home will get it as well. And there's just, some people see a little bit of unfairness in it but the government is saying they want to make sure they want to have a universal 
aspect in it to make sure that it gets to the widest amount of people as uh, possible. So that's something that definitely is going to go ahead, whether it will be the €113.50 or whether it will be the 227 We'll hopefully hear more from that uh, today. Now, other measures that it is likely they're going to uh, discuss by the government figures today are likely then to be more targeted payments at the low income households. For example, they're looking at the working family payment. Discussions are ongoing about bringing forward a planned 10 euro increase in the working family payment. And the working family payment is a weekly tax free payment to working parents who are on low pay. That is due to come into effect in June. That was plans that were announced in the budget last October. So there is speculation now that it is possible that that 10 euro increase could be raised further or it could be introduced earlier. But seemingly, according to some papers today, no agreement on that one yet. They're also looking at things like an extension of the fuel allowance season. That's on the table. The current fuel allowance season is underway at the moment where people, but it's only for the people who qualify for fuel allowance, they get €33 per week. It's paid to the qualifying households, but that will run until April and then it finishes. So there's talks they might extend that by how long, I don't know. There was last minute wranglings seemingly last night with the Green Party. The Green Party are pushing for more targeted measures to the low income families. But Fine Gael are insisting that the package should have an element that supports all households. And that's where the electricity one certainly will support all households. Fine Gael, it seems, is pushing for the universal element so that middle income households are not being left out. Plus, they also want a targeted element for the low income families. But a senior Green Party figure said Eamon Ryan was certainly pushing for targeted measures aimed at helping those on the low uh, income. But by just targeting the low income and everyone accepts that people on low income need to be helped out. I think Fine Gael are right. If you just target the low income, you do miss out on the middle income households. These are people who are, they might have two incomes coming into the house. They are heading out to work every day. To everybody looking from the outside in, it might look like they have it all. You know, they're heading out to work. They have a nice house. They might have two cars in the driveway. But nobody knows the rising costs within that household. For example, if they've taken a mortgage in the last number of years, you know, they could have a very high mortgage. They could have high childcare costs. They just, you, just, you never know what's going on behind closed doors. And there's always been this element of the squeezed middle that when handouts are given out or when help is given out, it's given out rightly, everyone will say, you say to people, you know, living on social welfare, elderly people, the pensioners, people on low incomes. But we can't forget about the squeezed middle. They'd certainly have to be looked after as well because they, everyone is feeling the pinch from the cost of living. So there are some of the things that are on the table, some of the things that are being bandied about or spoken about. So we wait until this Cabinet Committee on Economic Recovery and Investment bit of a a mouthful the name of that cabinet committee they'll meet today they will sign off on it and then at some stage I'm assuming at some stage today we will get to hear what has been decided and hopefully whatever they decide you know be it targeted or be it a universal uh, payment 
let them get the money into people's pockets because I think I still have Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners ringing in my mind from yesterday and what she had to say on the programme yesterday. People need help today. They don't need to be told that, you know, you're going to get a little bit extra, but it'll, you, you know, it'll be in your bank accounts in June. They need it now. Uh, 0818 Your suggestions welcomed if you could have the ear of anyone on that Cabinet Committee on Economic Recovery and Investment, where would you like to see them target the money? I mean, if they have more than £400 to spend and to spread around the country, what aspects would you like to see? Is there a particular, is is there a cut somewhere? You know, I know the obvious one that people will say is to in some way reduce VAT on fuel costs. And I know people will say the carbon tax, but I don't think, I mean, certainly listening to any of the government ministers, and I think perhaps because we've got the Greens as part of the coalition, the next carbon increase is to come in in May. And I don't think that there's a hope in hell that there will be a deferral on that. And I know a lot of people certainly would say if there's any spare cash at the moment, could you put it towards that to hold off the payment of that? And now some of your texts coming in. Electricity bills, by the way, hate to be the bearer of bad news are starting to drop in a lot of people's houses. A lot of people, your electricity is for December and January. So the bills start to arrive in in February. And traditionally, if you look back on your electricity bills, the December, January bills are always the highest. It's the one, I suppose, you know, because it's the one that incorporates Christmas when we have a tendency to be at home for longer using more electricity. You might have visitors in and cooking of the dinners and all of that and electricity is going uh, non-stop. So we always, most householders will say that probably the biggest bill of the year is this one that comes in in the new year. Mary has just and everyone was expecting that this bill because electricity costs have gone up so much across the last year. There's been, was there four or five different increases across the last year. So the highest probably we've ever paid for electricity are the bills that we're receiving at the moment. Mary said her electricity bill has just arrived. Now she's one she has last year's electricity bills so she's been able to check and of course now if you're getting your bills online you'll be able to look back at previous bills as well as is one of the advantages I have to say to billing online. Anyway Mary said her December bill for last year, the bill she would have got this time last year was €206.51 an expensive electricity bill in itself. Today's bill for this year has jumped to cent, so €120 more expensive and that's why when they're talking about giving this credit on the electricity, people are not going to see that money go into the electricity account until March and most of those bills are going to have to be paid at the end of February. So that certainly is going to catch a lot of uh, people. Hi Patricia, they need to reduce VAT on oil. We're all being robbed and that's from Pat. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack and Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Part of a survey conducted by Falta Ireland, three out of ten businesses in the hospitality and tourism sector say they risk closure if the challenges around the recruitment and retention and staff are not resolved. Joining me from Falta Ireland is Jenny DeSaul, who is Director of Sector Development with Falta Ireland. Good morning to you, Jenny. 
Good morning. Uh, you're, you're welcome to the programme. Do you think this is possibly the worst skills shortage the industry has ever witnessed? Yes, I think it is. Um, and, you know, it's it made even worse by the fact that it's not just facing this industry. So the competition for staff um, is is the toughest it's ever been because other sectors like retail, manufacturing, they're also struggling to um, get staff. So it's more competitive than it's ever been. And of course, workers left during the pandemic. I mean, many people were, were, were forced out of work because of, of lockdowns and work closures, etc. Why are so many of them slow to come back into the industry, do you think? Well, I, I think there's a combination of things. So like you said, a number of them left. So some, you know, we had a, a, a large number of overseas people who went home and they're after getting jobs there. Then I think hospitality was hit harder than uh, tourism and hospitality was hit harder than a lot of other sectors because it was opening and closing and it was seen to be so unstable. So a lot of people got jobs, say, for example, in retail or where there were other opportunities coming up. And I suppose there is that concern out there now that is tourism and hospitality stable. So there is a, I suppose, a bit of a, a looking to wait. Uh, I think other things are, you know, if you... When we when we did the survey of employees, we found that you know seventy percent of those who are working in the sector really enjoy it and they are, see it as a long term career option. But those outside of the sector often don't easily see the career option. So it's really important that tourism and hospitality, when they're advertising jobs, are clearer about the development opportunities. I think the other piece is really about you know during COVID we all kind of reassess. And a lot of people are wanting a better work-life balance. And so one of the things that is of concern is, you know, working hours and on social hours. But what we've seen is the industry are really adapting to this. So they've become much more flexible. They're willing for people to work three or four days a week. They're um, adapting shifts now. So, you know, if you're a working parent, you can drop kids off and pick them up from school. You know, if you're a retiree, that they'll flex their hours around you for the two or three days of the week that you want to work. Or for students, they'll work around their courses and when they can. So I think what really needs to happen is the industry really need to demonstrate this flexibility and really understand the competitiveness uh, and kind of step up to the mark uh, versus the other uh, sectors that are out there. And what about pay? Has that increased for workers? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you look at what's happened during the, the last six months, the competitive nature of the market has increased pay. Now, it's not to say that uh, pay is is fine within the industry. We know as part of our survey, pay was raised um, as an issue. And I think particularly it's about, you know, if people are working weekends or bank holidays or if they're working on social hours, that they should be rewarded for that, either with time or in lieu or getting overtime. But we've definitely seen uh, salary or wages within the sector increase in the last six months. Uh, and a lot of businesses um, are doing that. So, like, if you look at Cork, we have some, you know, great tourism businesses out there. So, like, if you look at the a newer group, say, um, they're down in Little Island, the, their hotel is offering very competitive packages, you know, with full benefits like other sectors. If you look at the likes of the Metropole Hotel and the International Hotel, again, 
great packages, real development programs. And if you look at like um, restaurants like Market Lane, again, you know, they've got real flexibility. You can work the hours that you want. They're encouraging their teams to engage in that and they've got great development opportunities. So there are great employers out there who are stepping up to the mark. Okay, and roughly how many vacancies currently exist and is, is it across all all different levels? Yeah, and I think that was the interesting thing. So we did the research back in November, and at that time there was 40,000 vacancies, wow. and they're across all sec- all levels. And I, uh, 25% of those were at middle management. So there are senior jobs out there um, vacant. Yeah, so they're, they're not all the lower end or the lower paid jobs. Not at all. Yeah, no. yeah, that's, that, that, that is interesting. And it's... It, I'm right in saying, is it already having an impact on some businesses, like reduced opening hours or reduced capacity? Exactly. So you can see some businesses at the moment are only opening maybe five days a week as opposed to seven. Um, Some are maybe not opening for lunch. They're only opening in the evening. Or some are just maybe offering... um, a limited offering. So, you know, say hotels that might have had two restaurants, they're only opening one of those restaurants. And in some other restaurants, you can see that maybe the, the menu option isn't as broad as it, as it would have been. So it's definitely having an impact on businesses at the moment. That's, that's a frustration for the owners of those businesses, isn't it? Because, you know, there, there is a, a momentum that, you know, restrictions have been lifted. People want to get out and about. It must be very frustrating if somebody has to re- reduce the number of people they can, say, can have into a restaurant. Exactly. I mean, these businesses have been, you know, through such a difficult time in the last 20 months, you know, opening and closing, really difficult time for them, you know, really loss of revenue. And now things are open exactly like you say, they want to get open. They want to open their doors and welcome uh, people back in and they are limited on how they can do that. Okay, and uh, um, the with new people then coming into the sector, is there an issue around having to train them and get them up to scratch when they're dealing with the public? Absolutely. So our research showed that one in three uh, in the industry in 2021 were new to the industry. So if you think about that, they're coming in, they have no experience whatsoever. So it was very difficult then for businesses to train them quickly and get them on, you know, up to speed. So, you know, Fault Ireland, we announced our plans there on Tuesday and we're doing a lot of work, um, one, in supporting businesses and how to recruit. So we're helping them to recruit in a competitive market, how to pitch their business. Because remember now, it, the potential employee is usually got three or four businesses offering them jobs. It's not now where can I get a job, which job do I take? So it's really important for the businesses to be able to pitch and sell. But exactly that point that you said, when you get the new team member, you really need to bring them in uh, and train them up and get them comfortable and happy in the job as quickly as you can. So we're also doing supports really around helping businesses to onboard staff and, and help them to train them up and get them up to speed as quick as they can. And then I imagine retention then becomes the issue, particularly retention of experienced staff. Exactly. So if you think about it at the moment, the experienced staff are under a lot of pressure because they're, you know, they're, there's not as many staff as they need. And then there's new staff coming in that they've got to upskill. So again, there's quite a bit of, of work that we're doing to help businesses keep those um, experienced uh, staff trained and happy in the work to ensure that they do retain them. Yeah, because I imagine there's a lot of headhunting going on and competition amongst uh, businesses. So, uh, Jenny, are you expecting a strong rebound in visitors this year? 
Yes, we are. So, you know, if we look at 2022 in terms of the domestic market, you know, we had a very good year in 2021 despite the restrictions. So we do think in 2022 uh, the domestic market will get back close to where it was in 2019. And in terms of the international market, we're already seeing that starting to come back. So the hope is that, you know, in terms of international numbers, we get around 60% of what we had in 2019. Okay, all right. Listen, Jenny, I'll let you go. I know you're under pressure with the other interviews uh, to get to. So we really appreciate you taking time out to talk to us today. Thank Thanks you for that. For Good you. morning Take to you. Bye bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Jenny DeSaul, who is Falta Ireland's Director of Sector. Uh, development, um, which is just an ongoing uh, problem with uh, businesses, and it's you know it's one that we need to get sorted. The skill sort shortage, but Jenny is right; it's it's across so many different industries. It's but I think for tourism and hospitality, because of the really rough two years they've had, and if we do get this strong rebound of visitors, which we're expecting this year, those visitors when they come to Ireland are going to expect restaurants to be open. They're going to expect you know experienced staff greeting them and we could have it could be a really really tricky tourist season for businesses if they just can't get the staff and then the staff they have trying to retain them 0818 103 103 and just spotted a text in from do you remember the listener who contacted us yesterday because she had had a very upsetting call from a, a relative of hers who was in a high dependency unit and the poor man was saying could the nephew come in and see me if just for 10 minutes. He's, I don't know how long the man has been in hospital but it was just one of those heartbreaking things and obviously with restrictions in the hospital and nobody's knocking the hospitals for this because they're trying to keep everybody as safe as possible. Nobody was allowed in to see this man and we were. there was a lot of listeners had come in with suggestions of what they could do and a lot of people were feeling sorry for this man you know because like he said on the phone too and he was quite upset. I just wanted him to come in for 10 minutes. He just wanted to see you know a familiar face. Well that listener has been back on to say thanks a million for reading out my text yesterday about the patient in the high dependency unit in, in Cork. The nephew did get in to see him and it meant so much to him. Thanks to all the listeners who took the time to text in with advice and we had got directly onto the hospital and they were fantastic about saying look leave it with us we'll see what we could do and we were putting them in contact with the listener who contacted us so delighted to hear that, absolutely delighted to hear that and it'll give the the uncle such a lift because the nephew got in to see him and please God it might even help to speed up his recovery uh, thank you for your text to 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie C103's Irish Sunday is the big show on your radio. Sunday mornings from 10. Four hours of all-time favourites from Cleena Hagen to Mike Denver. Susan McCann to Derek Ryan. And Daniel O'Donnell to Nathan Carter. It's Cork's greatest hits, guaranteed. And everyone is Irish. Join us Sunday mornings from 10am. Irish Sunday on C103. Thousands of visitors will be unable to visit Jersey Island this coming tourist season as the country's only cable car will be out of action so that essential maintenance work is carried out. Now, while it'll be a disappointment to tourists, how is it going to affect people who live or work on the island? Well, Joseph Sullivan has a family farm on Jersey Island, uh, but he's a resident of the mainland and he's contacted us. And Joseph joins me this morning. Good morning to Joseph. 
Good morning, Patricia. Now, you were raised on uh, Jersey. Can you just start first by outlining how important the cable car is to the islanders? To be honest, Patricia, it's the lifeblood of the island. To be honest, it was put there for the islanders back in the late 60s. It was was put there in 1969 for the islanders. The islanders that were there at the time were getting older and less able and they had less help. What they used to do was they they used to put um, their boats into the water by hand, row across the Jersey Sound and off again at the other side. Help was getting very scarce for this and the idea of the cable car came along. I mean, there probably wouldn't be people living on Dorsey Island in any way, shape or form in this day and age if it wasn't for the cable car. Yeah, It's of the utmost importance. So it was initially for the islanders and then a benefit afterwards was the tourists started using it and it brought tourists to the island. But that, that was just uh, an add-on uh, benefit. So without a cable car, if the Cork County Council is saying it's taken out of commission, what is the alternative for the islanders? Well, on a nice camp summer's day, you can use a rib. In fairness, you can use a rib to traverse the Jersey Sound, but only on a nice camp day. I mean, there's a strong tidal race that runs up and down through the Jersey Sound. It easily runs at between three and three and a half knots. And I mean, once you get a bit of wind and a bit of swell coming in from the west, especially the northwest, you're not going to be able to traverse the Jersey Sound. It's not safe. It's not physically possible. There's such a rise and fall at both piers, especially the pier on the mainland side. One minute, if you can imagine yourself, Patricia, you're in a boat at the pier. You're level with the pier. Next thing, there's a big drop. The top of the pier is about 78 feet or more from where you were, where we began. So, I mean, it's not safe. It's not physically possible. And and, And there isn't a ferry being put in to replace while the cable car is out of action? There is. There is, in fairness. If a rib can be done, it would be great. But it, in the early half of the year and the late ha- latter half of the year, it's not very possible. It's not very safe. You need the summer months for this. Okay, and d- d- your big concern would be a medical emergency, somebody having to get off the island uh, quickly. And you also have a big concern about the animals on the island. Yes, indeed. I traversed the uh, zone on the cable car most days of the week to go and see my animals, either before work or after work. And if, if I'm not able to do that, I, I don't want to be seen to be neglecting my animals. March, April and May are very, very important months to, to me and all my neighbours on the island. We all have sheep lambing, we have cows calving, and it's a very, very important time of the year. We have to put the work in now in the springtime to get a wage at the end of the year. You know, it, 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 it's very, very hard altogether. And of course, the cable car is used to take animals on and off, isn't it? Uh, it was up until about 2008 or nine. I think it was. It was up to that point, but not for, not for later years. What we have instead, Patricia, is we get a, a certified ferry from Castellon Bear to come to us three to four times a year to take our animals and our livestock on and off the island. OK, but it's more, it's more the welfare you're saying you need to get out onto the island every day. Yes, yes, Patricia, yes. I mean, I want to go and see my animals. I want to go and feed them. Spring, the spring months are hard on us. Our fields are untilled. There hasn't been any rotivating as such, like you would on farms on the mainland. And all our animals would be outwintered. Look, they have, they have to be cared for. Anyone in the farming circle will understand this. 
And I, I take it we're talking about a small number of people, are we, who are farming out on Jersey, Joseph? You would, you would. You could be talking maybe between six to eight small and medium-sized farmers. Mm. And but you, you'd have a lot of you would have a lot of um, property owners, household owners that would come on a regular basis as as well. They'd come to their holiday homes. They would come to their, where their traditional family homes homesteads would be. They like to come back to see their family. They like to see them come back to their friends. And I mean. It, it, it's not. It's just going to make life so hard for us all. Well, make, yeah, like I mentioned, I mentioned the, the thousands of tourists who flock to Jersey Island every year. They, I mean, they, that's really going to be missed on the island this year. It is, and it's going to have a lot further reaching um, problems as well because the tourist industry is, is a big part on, on the Bayer Peninsula in general. I mean, the Dorothy Cable Car is probably the main attraction at the very, very end of the road, as such, for everyone. Everyone likes to come and see it, take a spin in it, if it's possible, and head off home again. It's going to affect businesses. It's going to affect your restaurant. It's going to affect shops. And have have effects that are going to have much farther reaching. Yeah, B&B, it, yeah everything. it will. You're right, it'll, it'll have a big knock-on. Okay, the council say recent bad weather has impacted uh, the cable car's metal towers. These towers have been there since 1977. They need to be reinforced Are replaced. Do you agree that that work has to happen? Oh it does. I'm not in I'm not going to stand in the way of progress. I'm not maintenance has to be done. I I know that myself it has to be done but they want to we got no notice whatsoever Patricia. I found out this news that the cable car was shut, going to be shut on the 1st of April by through social media. And I mean surely they can they can try and work with us a bit better. I mean it, 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 I, I don't know what to say. I mean, because uh, we 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 got we got a statement from Cork County Council outlining the work and what had happened with the the recent the storm Barra, I think in 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 particular that uh, caused the damage. But they say at the end of that statement, uh, this information is being communicated to residents and land users on Jersey Island, and Cork County Council is committed to keeping both residents and visitors updated on the progress of these essential works. You reckon you didn't hear from them? No, I, I, I heard, I've I seen it on social media myself. I was not contacted at all in any way, shape or form. Okay, and it's the, it's the period of time it's going to be closed. It's, it's a lengthy it period. First of April. It is. I mean, they're giving themselves plenty of time. I can tell you now, they, when they constructed the cable car first in, in 1969, they started in the middle of May and they had it finished by the end of October and it was commissioned on the 6th of December and up and running officially by the 6th of December. And everything was done by hand. On the island, they had a cement mixer or anything. All the concrete had to be mixed by hand. Everything had to be done manually. The steel had to be drawn up by the pier by some of my neighbours that are still alive and my grandfather being one of them there walking on the cable car as well. And I mean, and they, they got it done in a shorter period of time. So, I mean, in this day and age, surely with the engineering and the machinery... It can, be done, it can be done quicker, yeah. I saw yeah. in the Echo today, I think it was the uh, Fianna Fáil TD for Cork South West, uh, Christopher O'Sullivan, he was saying a solution needs to, to be to be found, particularly he's talking about trying to maintain the tourism presence uh, in the peak tourist season. And he, he suggested Cork County Council should look to hiring local boat operators to maintain the tourist presence during those critical months. Would that help? It would indeed. I mean, I mean, you're talking average maybe twenty-two to twenty-five thousand people coming coming to the Dorsey Island and coming to coming to the Cable Car at least every year. 
it's it's a decent business. It's a big business. It's going to be a big loss to anyone concerned. And I mean, my concern really is: look, could they not keep the cable car open another bit longer? Could they not leave it go until maybe the first of May or the middle of May, just to give us a chance? That I don't want people coming to Dorsey Island and look down at my fields. I know my neighbours are going to feel the same and see animals that are going to be neglected from the want of being fed and being cared for. Oh my goodness, nobody wants that, no, Joseph. Nobody, nobody, nobody wants, that. wants that. All right, I mean, so, so you, and have you have you tried contacting Cork County Council? Can you can you get through to them in any way? I have, but I, ha- I haven't heard back from them yet, but I will okay. endeavour to persevere on the subject and I, I will keep going to see if I can raise the issue with them and see if, if we can come to an amicable, amicable okay. Ending. Okay, and listen, we keep in contact with us as well, uh, Joseph. And um, and have you uh, have you got you family living out on Jersey? Have you? I would have friends and relations. I friends and relations. Be, um, okay, all right. I I, I run the fam- I run I run the family farm out there for my mother and my my wife helps me as well. My wife Nicola helps me as well. And, and you work full time as well in Castletown Bear. I do indeed. Oh, you're some man. You're some man. All right, <laughs> listen, keep in contact with us, okay? And uh, thanks a million for joining us. Thank you, Bishop. Thank Good you for morning. Thank you for having Thank bye, you for having Bye-bye. That is uh, Joseph uh, Sullivan, one of those who works on Jersey Island and is really going to miss uh, the cable uh, car. And, of course, when we're talking of the uh, the cable car, we have to remember that the Cork County Council did grant planning permission for that multi-million euro upgrade of the cable car from the island uh, on the Bear Peninsula. And now, unfortunately, it is subject to a judicial review on board Planola. A previously grant granted planning permission last November for the multi-million euro upgrade um, but then it has gone to uh, judicial uh, review there has been it's been objected to by uh, some groups and that's just really really un- unfortunate for everybody involved You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed Connor was listening to my chat in the last hour with uh, Joseph Sullivan about the Jersey Island cable car which is going to be put out of action you know and I can understand Cork County Council they need you know if it's a safety issue work needs to be done on it but you could poor old Joseph needs to get on and off the island every day so that he can look after his animals that are out on the on the island and um, and obviously there's a tourism in aspect to this uh, as well and I mentioned at the end of my interview uh, with Joseph that there has and there are very very ambitious plans by uh, Cork County Council to upgrade the cable car I mean the plans it's a it's a multi-million euro plan it would uh, have an upgrade of the cable car it could carry 650 people an hour which obviously during the tourist season would be fantastic there's also talks of a glass fronted visitors centre a cafe parking for cars and uh, buses as well as passing bays which are so so important on that six kilometre access road all given the green light by on board Planola in 2019 and I mentioned that it is now unfortunately subject of judicial review Connor was wondering the object the people who decided to object to that uh, proposal are any of those people living locally those who are against the upgrade of the cable car and the glass fronted visitor centre because Connor says as far as he knows 
it was on Tashka and Birdwatch how many of them are local people well the judicial review there is a number of parties you are right on Tashka are one Birdwatch Island are another and Friends of the Irish Environment are another group they objected and because of the objection it has now gone to judicial review as far as I know and I'm open to correction there could be somebody locally who was against the uh, proposals but I think locally people were very much in favour of this because I remember back in 2019 when we were first talking about it we had a number of people saying that they couldn't wait for this multi-million euro plan by Cork County Council and I did see in the paper this morning the local Fianna Fáil deputy for the area Christopher O'Sullivan he, he was talking about the fact that the cable car is going to be out of operation for the tourist season and how he was looking at it from a tourism point of view and what it will mean uh, for the area but he was also saying how disappointed he was when he realised that the on board Pinola's decision has now had to go to judicial review. He is hopeful that the decision will be upheld and he said I'm incredibly disappointed that the decision has been objected to. He said I'm gutted for the people of the Barrett Peninsula who rely so heavily on tourism in order to create and sustain jobs and he said having spoken to many people since the judicial review was announced he said they're absolutely devastated because it's an important lifeline for the economic well-being of the Barrett Peninsula. So now he is hopeful that on board Panola's decision will be upheld and then the works can go ahead. We'll see if we can try to find out when we are expecting on board Panola to make a, a decision on that uh, judicial review. But yes, I would say locally, huge, huge amount of disappointment. But I don't know, Connor, is my simple answer to your question, if there was anyone locally who objected uh, to it. OK, some of your calls. Um, uh, Mary in Dumanwe said she was listening to the World Health Organisation. The World Health Organisation has come out this week saying that 14 billion, I take it it's dollars, is it, is needed to give third world countries, that's what is needed to be given to third world countries in order for them to get vaccines out to their people. And that's the only way we will see an end to this global pandemic. And the World Health Organisation was saying wealthy countries need to play their part and they need to step up. Mary said on hearing that, it just made her blood boil because she said we here in Ireland we would be deemed a wealthy country compared to third world countries of course we would but she makes the point that people are struggling to survive in this country and she makes the point that every other wealthy country will be the same not everybody in the country will be wealthy they will have people struggling uh, as well all all have poor uh, areas so for the World Health Organisation to come out and say this she thinks it's very unfair she said it might be okay for people in government and celebrities and large business owners who are very wealthy on big wages it's okay for them to donate money and she said they're the same people who will, who will be telling the less well off to donate and they can't afford it she thinks it's very very unfair but how how do we how does how do we end the pandemic Mary that's that's the dilemma and obviously the World Health Organisation have to come out and speak on behalf of the third world countries who can't afford the vaccines themselves I mean that's where the pharma com- companies need to step up to the mark and give the, the recipe for the vaccines to the third world countries so that they can produce them uh, cheaper themselves and make them so they can vaccinate their own uh, people thank you for your call Margaret in Charleville was on say, say she got without getting petrol this morning she was charged 1 euro 73.9 cent a litre now she also got petrol four days ago and she said it's got up three days three cent in four days 
she said, has it gone up anywhere else at that speed? Yes, it has, Margaret, unfortunately. The other day we had an example of somebody who happened to pass their garage in the morning and was keeping an eye on the cost of, it was petrol again. And then they passed again, it was at noon, and then they passed again, I think at five o'clock, it had gone up four cent in the afternoon and the garages will tell you, if I was to get onto any of the garages, that's what they buy, they buy it in at. So obviously in the last four days, since you initially got petrol and went back to get your petrol today, they got another fill. That fill came in at a higher price than what they had got last week's fill or however, however, I don't know how, is it every couple of days? I don't know. It depends on how busy the garage is when they've got to uh, fill up their petrol tanks again. So yes, it, it does and it has and it is rising all the time. I mean, I did a piece the other day where where the, the AA were saying we're at record high prices since they started doing their service and we're getting very close to the two euro a litre mark. Did we ever think we would ever be anywhere near? I mean, I can remember when I went to one euro when everyone was shocked. One euro a litre for petrol or diesel and, you know, it hovered kind of in the 90s for a while and you could see it coming and then suddenly it did and suddenly it went over one euro very quickly and here we are up in the one seventies at this stage almost for petrol and diesel. Thanks for your call, Aunt Margaret. Dan in Ballinhasic says this is talking about what the government are doing today with this four hundred million euro package to try to ease the rising cost of uh, living. Dan says do, do Will people remember a tax amnesty? It happened back in the 80s. It brought in millions. Dan said they never tax the vulture funds, but all they seem to do is tax middle income earners. Wealthier people should be taxed more. I hope they're going to look after those who get up early in the morning and go out to work every day. The squeezed middle, they always seem to be the ones to be caught. Eddie said, if the well-off people are going to be getting this electricity credit, now Eddie said €100, it's looking like that could be up to 227 Europe per household. If the wealthy people get that money and they've any kind of a conscience in that they don't, they know they don't need that money off their electricity uh, bill, then really they should donate it to charity or give it to somebody needy in their uh, area. Eddie can understand how the government are, would not be in a position to decide to almost means test the electricity credit because even attempting to do that would have meant it would have been longer to hand it out. So he understands the universal nature of why they're giving it to every household. But he reckons if there's any household who gets, when that money comes through, if it is 227, it's going to be credit off your electricity bill, is what it's looking like it's going to be, then people should donate the money to charity. And that happened a couple of years ago. Wasn't it the rebate on the water charges? Remember, the number of people paid water charges and the vast majority of people didn't pay water charges. And then, of course, the, there was a lot of protests all over the country, can I say, kicked off here in Cork against water charges and the, the water charges were then abolished. But then they were caught, the government were caught with the people that had paid the water charges. So they had to give the money back. And I remember at the time, a number of charities were saying to people, if you paid your water charges and you don't need the money back. They asked people to donate it and many people did. I remember that many people did at the time. So maybe, Eddie, some charities will start campaigns like that to make it easy for people to donate money to their charity. Instead, it possibly will happen. But Eddie is leaving it up to people's conscience. If you get that money 
off your electricity and you don't need it, then you should give it to a local a charity. And Donny says on the household benefits package, on the household benefits package that's paid, Donny said to people over the age of uh, 70, he said part of that household benefits package, it's the one where they get the free TV licence, isn't it? But part of it is €34 euro a month off your electricity bill. Donny says that hasn't been increased in years. So he said if they have 400 million to play around with today, could they look at doing something like that? That would be his suggestion if he could have an ear to the government making that decision uh, today. Hi Patricia, will carers get something in the giveaway uh, today? Many thanks. Take care. Don't know. Literally don't know. I did hear the I did hear Carers Association uh, looking and they're always fighting on behalf of carers. But no, I don't know if what gets announced today would be specifically that targeted. But who knows? Who knows? We're going to have to wait and see. On electricity bills, people are starting to get their electricity bill. Morning, Patricia. I got my first smart meter electricity bill a few days ago. It was double my last bill. Never was at that uh, price. And that's with my husband's free units off it. That's from a from Moy, a listener. And can I just say to you and to others, because I know we've had a couple of calls in on this as well. It's got nothing to do, your electricity going up had nothing to do with the smart meter coming in. The only one thing that the smart meter will do is it will give you an absolutely accurate bill. Um, and, and, you know, some people were suspicious that the smart meter was raising the price of electricity. It isn't, unfortunately. The electricity went up at a time when smart meters were being put in. I'll give you an example of somebody I did hear of who had been getting esti- had been getting a lot of estimated bills. They got a smart meter put in and then, of course, they got the first true reading and they ended up getting the smallest electricity bill they had ever had because they had been overpaying the fact that they were getting estimated bills. So... I'm not saying that that's what happened in, in your case because all electricity bills have gone up. Doubled, it's probably the first time I've, I've heard of one that has doubled. Maybe, just maybe, you had some estimated bills and it was a catch-up. If it was, you should see a reflection certainly in your next bill. And a Bantry listener says, they'll take the carbon tax off the truckers and the agri-contractors and give it to people that don't want to work. I don't quite know who, who you're targeting in that statement. Um Bantry listener. Anyway, it serves the people right, says this texter, that they are seeing prices spiralling out of control because if you want the Greens in power, then you know that that is going to happen. We'll have a famine next. As, and, and I also feel at this stage a lot of people are living in what feels like a famine to them because they're living in food poverty. The Greens, according to this listener, really want to close down farming and with the spiralling cost of inputs into farming, that's what's going to happen. And that's from a Bantry listener who certainly is not a fan of the Greens. And hi Patricia, what's happening now with driving licence? Can you simply walk in as I can't do it online? That is from Pat. Okay. The easiest way to renew your driver's licence is, of course, uh, to do it online. But in order to do it online, you need to have a public services card and not everybody has that. Uh, You can go into, in person, to an NDLS centre. But, Pat, in order to do that, you must book an appointment. And the only way you can book an appointment, from what I can see, is you have to book it online. So you book an appointment and then you'll be able to go into the NDLS centre. When we were speaking with Anne O'Donovan from the Citizens Information Centre, uh, she was saying that they help because they're aware that not everyone is online. 
and not you know and usually what we say to people you might have a family member that might be able to go online and book the appointment for you but Pat if you don't have anyone that you know who could go online and make the appointment for you if you make contact with by phone your local citizens information centre they'll be they've been doing that they've been making appointments for people so yes you can go in but you can't just walk in you're going to need to make the appointment first and the only way you can make the appointment is to book it online for your local NDLS office 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your call C103 Jobs Sparky Skate they're on Little Island they have full and part time positions available it's for sales assistance and for fresh food assistance CVs please to spareastgate at gmail.com Delhi slash bakery assistant is wanted that's for Caulfield Supervalue in Bandham they also have a vacancy for a delivery driver Email CVs, please, to vacancies at caulfields.com. Bar staff are required. That's for Skibbereen Golf Club. To apply, you email pro at skibgolf.com. And O'Neill Scarridge, that's at Cool Main in Bantry. They're looking for a qualified mechanic for part-time work. Call Mike on 87 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now my next guest is a young secondary school teacher from Kilgarvan who has recently set up a GoFundMe page to cover the cost of medical treatment that she needs that is available in Germany. Because last year she was diagnosed with Lyme's disease. Karen O'Shea uh, joins me to share her story this morning. Good morning to you, Karen. Hi there, how are you? I'm very well and, and you're welcome to the pro, to, to the programme. I suppose, can you start by explaining to people what Lyme's disease is? Yeah, so I was diagnosed with Lyme disease in April 2021 and Lyme disease is a bacterial infection transmitted from the bite of an infected tick. Um, if it's not treated early, the infection can spread to your joints heart, nervous system and your brain. Um, unfortunately for me, now this disease has had a devastating effect on me because my Lyme disease went undiagnosed for 12 years um, and I was given the label of fibromyalgia and I managed these symptoms. I live a normal life and whenever I did get flare up, we were not aware that there was any um, progressive damage being done. And I fought through these symptoms and learned to manage it. However, in um, October 2020, everything changed then and I severely deteriorated. Um, my current GP went above and beyond in terms of finding out what was happening to me. And the symptoms I now have include um, excruciating nerve pain all over my body, a headache and pressure in my skull that never seems to go away. Um, for me, it affected my nervous system. So that includes short-term memory loss, episodes of body paralysis and tremors, um, slurred speech, fainting, loss of balance, and then, of course, to top it off, the, the extreme exhaustion, insomnia and nausea, feeling sick all the time. 
my um, God, it's just, what you are describing yeah. is absolutely horrific. But hang on, let me go back. I mean, what really shocks me about your story is the 12 years waiting to get a correct diagnosis. Yeah. So, do, so do you know, do you remember getting um, a bite from a tick? Um, so we, I grew up in the countryside. We're surrounded by forestry, see deer all the time. So I've had many tick bites as a child. Um, however, like we were not aware of the dangers of Lyme disease. And I actually was tested in Ireland years ago for Lyme disease, but it came back negative because the test in Ireland tests for antibodies and my immune system was so suppressed that I wasn't producing any. Um, and the tests in Germany are far more sensitive. And on top of that, I never got a bullseye rash, which I learned is actually quite common. Around 40% of people don't get the rash at all. Um, so when I got the diagnosis in Germany, it all made sense because, as I said, I've had many tick bites as a child. Symptoms are there. You know, we just weren't aware of the dangers. And when we got the negative results um, with the Irish test, we thought no more about it, of course. That was kicked off the list, you know. So, but um, you would have been, what, a teenager when you first started yeah. presenting with symptoms? I would have been, but um, even going back before that, as a child, I would have had a lot of headaches and stiff neck. I would have been going home from school quite often. Um, and, you know, any time that was looked into, it was a case of, OK, headache and stif- stiff neck, it's not meningitis, therefore she's fine she's fine, go home. And this would continue. And then when I was a teenager, the symptoms um, consisted of back pain and headaches. And I'd, I'd pass out every now and again. But I got the diagnosis then of fibromyalgia. So, of course, everything was put down to that. And we accepted that because that's the condition that you are told to learn to live with. That's an, auto, that's an autoimmune condition, isn't it? Fibromyalgia? It's, it's a condition. It's a... Um, a condition of your muscles, basically. It's it's a label for widespread pain and fatigue. It's like chronic fatigue syndrome is another one. Yeah. So the so when, so you get that diagnosis, and then uh, is there were they trying to treat you for that? Um. Well, there isn't much treatment involved in that. Really, it's just told to manage your symptoms and take painkillers. Um. You know, exercise, do things like this, and just learn to manage them. But I was doing that all along, but then in October 2020, when I deteriorated, I knew there was something else up, like these symptoms that I was presenting with and the collapsing all the time. Um, I just knew that something else was going on because, and, and because I was told for so many years that I had fibromyalgia and because I was so used to managing symptoms, I would have continued to push myself far beyond my limits. I continued trying to work for as long as I could trying to put on a brave face, you know, a lot of people didn't know this was going on because I knew no difference. But it got to a stage then where um, I just, I couldn't do much. Like right now I'm housebound, basically. And um, yeah, I I just can't believe it's got to be. You've had to give up. I mean, I, I mentioned the introduction. You're a secondary school teacher, so you would have gone to college. You would have qualified as a teacher. You got a job. As, yeah. as, as, as the, I take it you're out of work and everything. Yeah, I'm out of work. Um, I'm completely housebound. Um, and on top of everything, it's a lot of pressure, as well as 
dealing with the illness, it's an awful lot of financial pressure. Um, I live with my partner and, and he's been keeping the ball rolling since. Um, so we spent thousands of euros already on, on treatment. But um, when I got my results back from Germany, I then, my current GP then referred me to Dr. Lambert in Dublin. He is infectious disease specialist in the Matter Hospital in Dublin. And he's the only specialist dealing with Lyme disease in the country. And I was on a treatment plan of up to five antibiotics a day for several months. And unfortunately, this is unsuccessful for me due to... um, Delayed diagnosis. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. But was it almost a relief, Karen, to finally get a diagnosis, if you know what I mean? So absolutely, um, I think hindsight is a great thing. At, at the time when I got the diagnosis, I was so relieved and I thought, you know, this is what it is now. Um, I'm not going crazy. This is this is actually what's happening. And I suppose a part of me thought, okay, the rest of the journey is going to be simple. I'm going to get treated and I'm going to get better. And little did I know that I'd end up where I am now, whereby that treatment didn't work for me um, because of the late diagnosis and then there's no help with, um, in Ireland for chronic Lyme disease sufferers so therefore I had to put up a GoFundMe to try and, and get myself to Germany for intensive Okay, treatment. tell me how you found out about Germany and what is this treatment in Germany that you're trying to access? Yeah, so there are um, support groups online one is called TikTok Ireland and they're Lyme disease sufferers in Ireland and also Lyme Era and it was through them um, people that have that thousands of people in the same position as me that I got in contact with um, that you know the antibiotic treatment didn't work for them either got in contact with people then I began looking into um, different clinics and um, the St. George's Clinic in Germany is the one that has the most intensive treatment. Um, so at the stage I'm at now, that you know, I have no other choice with how downhill I have, I've gone. And that, that treatment costs upwards of 35 grand for just a four-week intensive treatment. Um, so uh, I, I, I have no idea when I'll be able to work again in relation to the timeline I set up to go fund me in the hope that you know, I'd be so lucky if I could raise even half enough funds to get me over to Germany. And then the rest of the of the recovery journey would be down to um, taking out a loan and trying to fund that. And that was an awful lot of financial pressure. But since I've put up the GoFundMe, I've just been blown away by people's um, generosity and how much I've been supported. And it's just taken such a strain. Brilliant. Brilliant. People are brilliant. I tell you, Karen, I've dealt uh, doing this job over 30 years. I've dealt with so many people and families who've had to. And it's a big it's it's a tough decision to have to go public and say, I need help and have to set up a GoFundMe to be paid. I have huge respect uh, for for you and for people that, that do it. But I have I've never not seen a reaction from absolute total strangers people just you know you've, you've had such a rough rough time of it and people just I think you know people are so generous in this country people want to help out and you reckon because you've done your research you reckon this treatment do you reckon it can give you your life back or give you back just even some quality of life 
Um, so there's a 70% chance of getting me into remission from this treatment. Brilliant. And at lowest water, it's going to improve my condition. And at this stage, being housebound, any improvement will be a humongous help. And I've spoken to many people and, you know, this is what saved them their life back because in Ireland they're left stranded. Um, if the antibiotic treatment doesn't work for you, it's tough luck, um, you know, and there's thousands of people in my position that went undiagnosed and the antibiotic treatment didn't work for them. So, I mean, in terms of that, something needs to change as well because there's so many of us that are left up to our their own devices and I've no choice but to ask people to help me. And I'm so lucky that that people just, you know, went above and beyond for me. Okay, um, and the fact the fact that it's to Germany you need to travel within the EU, we have spoken many times on this programme about the cross-border initiative because so many people, particularly from West Cork area, go up to Belfast to have cataract operations and hip operations and it's all done under, under the cross-border. Would that be of any help to you? No, because you see, this is the thing with chronic Lyme disease. It's not supported by the state. Um, according to the HSE, Lyme disease is treatable with a course of antibiotics, full stop. Yeah, so, if it's if it's diagnosed in time, it is. Exactly, but there's thousands of people in my position and, you know, we, we're left with no answers. So therefore, we have to fund the treatment ourselves. And we actually found out that since um, 2010, approximately 63 million euros has been spent on getting people with chronic Lyme disease abroad for treatment. So I think that that speaks for itself, really. Yeah, it does indeed. It does. It does indeed. And do you know what the treatment is? Yes. So the the main treatment is hyperthermia. Um, You're under general anaesthetic and you're put into this chamber in an ICU unit where they heat up your body to around 41 degrees. And at this temperature, the Lyme bacteria is killed off. Um, And there's many other treatments involved post hyperthermia, including blood filtering, IV infusions, ozone therapy and detoxification programs and once the Lyme bacteria is targeted and killed off you're left with a lot of toxins due to the die off of the dead bacteria and this is where rehab and detoxification protocols are imperative so like my plan going forward in regards to my recovery um, we don't know how long that's going to take but at least now I'm on the road to recovery as opposed to deterioration. And this clinic has accepted you, they will accept you as a patient? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I hope to go in March, please God. Wow, wow, okay. Yeah. And 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 how, so where, where are you at on your GoFundMe? I know uh, we, we, John Paul is going to put it up on our social media platforms for anybody listening who would like to donate. Uh, how are you doing? So where, where are you at now with it? Absolutely. I'm just, we're absolutely... Um, we can't believe how, how good it's gone. Like, I asked for 35000 um to get me over there and that we'd try our best to fund the rest, but it's actually gone up now to 72000 Brilliant. So Brilliant, because there's a I, lot more. The 35000 just gets you the treatment, but there's a lot more. There's travel, there's the, you know, there's the post-treatment care. There's You know, you say you've got at least six months of rehabilitation, so there's a lot yeah. more. So let the money roll in. Let the money roll in, Karen. If uh, you just don't want to ask, people for any more I know, I know. money but people have been just so good and realised that I need help going forward as well as just to get me to Germany so I'm so grateful that people understand that. Okay so you're going March did you say? He's got March. March yeah. okay. Will you get Will you get, get, get on to us? Will you email us when you come back? We'd love to do a follow up with you to see how you're getting on. 
Absolutely, Patricia, that's great. That would be, and I also need to point out while you are a very proud Kerry woman uh, in uh, Kilgarvan, you have a core connection in your dad. I do indeed, yeah. My dad's name is Mike Shafe. He's from Atal in Kailsville. He actually worked in Skibbereen um, as a mechanic for 15 years, so. So people, people in Skib will know it's it's Mick O'Shea's daughter. In case you're wondering, that's who it is. Listen, yeah. we wish you the very best of luck. You've had a really, really rough time of it. My heart breaks for you, but please God, now you this treatment will be the right treatment, and you're on the road to a recovery. And you hopefully you'll be able to get your life back, which would be fantastic. Look after yourself, Karen, and thank th- and thank you for talking to us today. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. God bless. Look after yourself. That is young Karen O'Shea from Kilgarvan in Kerry, who really has been dealt a very, very poor hand, particularly the fact that the diagnosis came so late and then the knock-on effect of having to live with Lyme's disease undiagnosed for 12 years. We wish her good luck on her journey to Germany for that treatment. As I say, John Paul will share the GoFundMe page if you are in a position that you'd like to help out, uh, Karen. And always with the GoFundMe page, it's the smallest amount that really adds up if you would like to help her out, uh, please do. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Going to Fomoy Garda Station, where we're joined by Sergeant John Kelly for this week's uh, Garda File. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. And Thank well, you for having me. Well, you're welcome to the to the programme. I was just reading in the papers today that there's uh, fears of isolated pensioners with the burglary gangs targeting some rural areas. And reading through the papers today, it does seem to be in Leinster. Are we not, thankfully, seeing it here in the south? Thankfully, uh, Patricia, we're not seeing it. Seeing it. Uh, like, I went back there for the last week. We've had one burglary in Cork North in the last week. Okay, that's good to hear. And that occurred below in Whitegate on the 6th. Uh, somebody, there was a house broken into, luckily enough a neighbour saw uh, suspicious activity. He saw a person go through his garden, rang the guards. Uh, the guardy from Middleton attended and they detained the person uh, who were down in Whitegate Village. Brilliant. Um, and, but, but brilliant what that neighbour did. Absolutely. You know, and we say to people, look, keep their eye open. You know, and just to reassure elderly people, to be honest, compared to compared to 30 years ago, 20 years ago, I mean, people were never as safe in their homes as they are now. Uh, when you look back on the headlines that we had to face almost daily at that time yeah, of yeah. uh, organised crime gangs travelling throughout the country, you know, and beating up people to within an inch of their life, you know, and that, you, you, you know, one swallow doesn't make a summer, is all I'll say on that. Okay. You know, that violent incidents like that are very, very isolated uh, now, um, and most burglaries you'll find they're, they're, they're breaking, you, you know, to an unoccupied house and they're gone, yeah. you know. Uh, but but I think, you know, you know, people just keep an eye, and, and for those of us who have elderly uh, relatives and loved ones, you know, keep an eye on somebody's security, you know, make sure I mean, that poor man up the country uh, from the county Sligo is in the life support machine he opened the front door to, to those yeah. guys, you know, things, things like that Correct. don't do that, Correct. unless you know who's outside your the door. Basic small Basic small things like your 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 um, your door viewer, and some of the door viewers now are very good. Whereby um, they're not just a door viewer. There's a small little um, 
uh, there's a small little screen on some of them, maybe two or three inches. You press the button and you can see who's outside. There's yeah. an SD card in them and you can t- it stores up to about a thousand images. So not alone do you see who's outside. You've also taken a photograph of the person brilliant, outside. Brilliant, brilliant. You know. There's a they're, lot they're, of good security. Very, there's a lot of good security there now that wasn't there in the past. Absolutely. You know, so for people just to be aware of that, keep an eye out on, on their neighbours. Keep a lookout, as they done during COVID times, you know, in the lockdown, the first lockdown in March 2020. We were constantly getting reports of suspicious activity, a car, you know, not usual to the area. People were very conscious of, of it, you know. And we'd ask them again, you know, if you see unusual uh, care in the area, three or four uh, men or youths on board, you know, they're kind of travelling slowly down in the area. They're looking into this family. They're looking into the next house. You know, you go to the gate, you can see the, the brake lights go on as they slow down and look in. You know, you might see the car that maybe a half an hour later parked somewhere up if you're travelling into town and there's only one on board. You know, straight away, you know, there's two or three missing out of that car. Where are they? You know, that's the kind of report we need to get. Good. We also, I, I suppose, we see from time to time that the kind of cars that uh, organised crime gangs use, they tend to be, uh, say, the like of Audis, Passats, Golf, Stabs, something with a bit of power and speed in them, you know? Okay. They're the kind of ones to keep, you know, to keep a lookout for. You know, give us a phone call if you see anything unusual in, in, in the area and we'll be able to... We'll be and, able to you know, you, you know, you'll hear people saying, oh, I don't want to bother the, the Gardaí and, and sure, maybe it's it's innocent. You don't mind getting those calls. Even if you go out and it turns out to be somebody who's visiting the area, that's fine. You prefer that to happen than to hear afterwards right. that there was a break-in and, oh, I should have reported it. Absolutely. And, uh, you know... Uh, People might even feel a bit of guilt afterwards that, oh, my labour was broken into. I saw I saw them. You know, I saw them, but I didn't pick up the phone. Yeah. You know, everyone has a phone in their pocket now. The phone is not just a phone. It's a video camera. You know, it's been taken for, you can take photographs with it. You can put down the number of a car on it, uh, put that in and hit the dial button. You've saved it. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll, you'll remember the D, Reg. You know, if it is 11 D, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, put it in as 11 11, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, you'll remember the D for Dublin, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a very, you know, you don't have to be writing it down on the scrap of paper anymore. Everyone literally has the thing. If you see, if, if you see it, and you can take a photograph, take a, take a photograph, you know? Yeah. But everything like that, like for, for young people now that are getting their first car, you know, the father, the, the mother, whoever, relative, you know, what's a very good gift to give somebody now is a dash cam. Mm. You know, not alone is it they are sitting on the, you know, but it protects them if they're in 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 a in a traffic accident against claims. You know, some people would be very quick to claim, oh, it was the young person caused caused the crash. And the dash cam you know? can prove then that that it wasn't. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, now it also provides another service that you know, if you think you've seen something suspicious earlier, you can go back interrogate the dash cam, have a look at the footage uh, via your phone, and you can see, yeah, maybe that was. Maybe that was the car that was involved in an incident there. And we you often know, so hear your good selves at Longard the Shikona asking people if they were in the area and have dash cam footage. Absolutely. You know, it's a tool. It's an investigative tool now if any major incident happens. You know, that we are going to be looking for any dash cam footage that, that people may have. You know, but again, I think it's a very, very good thing to have 
having any any care over this. Okay. Now you you're probably more likely to be a victim of fraud than you are to be a victim of somebody breaking into your house. National Fraud Day. You're asking people again just to be aware. Yeah, I do. Just um, inter- internet. Uh, Safety Day was the other day, and I just asked people, I suppose, it was a day to create awareness of a better internet for all users, particularly children and young people, you know, and for people just to sit down with their children, you know, and um, just see what are they accessing on social media, talk to them, talk to them about safety online, you know, there's there's plenty of uh, webwise.ie is a website that you can visit. Um, there's a lot of practical information on that. You know, for example, 53% of parents say they help their child when something bothers them on the internet. You know, uh, who are they meeting? You hear them talking inside in, inside the room, you know, and they're playing games. You know, who are they talking with? You know, um, it's just something, you know, it, there are questions that need to be asked. Yeah, um, anyone, can, anyone can set up a profile saying they're a 14-year-old girl and they'll be anything absolute, but... Absolutely. And that brings us on to the other thing of romance fraud, you know, which has ramped up all over the world. Ireland is as vulnerable as anywhere else. Uh, our own figures were in the Garda Shikana. I think it went up 150% in 2020. There was a similar spike in 2021. Now, in 2019, we believed it was 400,000 lost uh, through romance frauds. Uh, in 2020, probably in the region of a million, you know. Oh, my God. And when you consider, with, with COVID, in March 2020, we retreated indoors. And a lot of people were indoors for months. And, you know, we, in a lot of cases, people went into a virtual world, you know, for companionship, uh, you know, to feel that they were talking to someone, you know. But in, in some cases, they were talking to, you know, to fraudsters online, mm. you know, who, who who could be managing 10 or 20 people at the same time. The same sob stories then were coming, you, you know, or um, once they had felt that they had built up a relationship with the, the, with the vulnerable person, with the injured party, um, you, you know, the sob story came, our mother has just gone to hospital, you know, in the country in which we're mm. living, we don't have the money for an operation. Conning someone, out, conning somebody yeah. out of money. And the other one yeah. on, on that, particularly on the romance fraud, uh, John, is to report it and not to be embarrassed. I think people get embarrassed. Absolutely, when and they that get is duped. a big problem. Yeah. We, to be quite honest, we it's an underreported crime. We uh, we feel in on Garish economy that we don't have a full uh, knowledge of the amount of it that's happening. You know, and for people not anything like that is dealt with very very sensitively. Don't feel. Uh, you, you know, that you're the only person. Plenty of people have been taken on. It's psychological engineering that they're engaging with and it can get the better of anyone, okay. you know, so for people right. just to be aware of that. All right, listen, uh, John, as always, thank you for that. Thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is Sergeant John Kelly based at Fomoy Garda Station. 0818 Jane Pickett, our resident vet, joins us uh, in the next hour on the programme if you've got a pet question. One of the animals unwell in your household get the questions in you can text you can whatsapp to 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie you're listening to Cork today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed can I say a huge huge thank you 
from myself and uh, John Paul. Our latest listenership figures to the radio station, the JNLR, uh, have just been released at 12 midday today. And would you believe to this programme we've added an extra 4,000 new listeners. So if you're one of our new listeners, welcome along. Or maybe you were somebody that left us and returned to us. But we've gone up 4,000, which we really are thrilled about. So a big, big thank you. We appreciate each and every one of our listeners. We're all like a little family together. And to celebrate C103's latest radio ratings, we want to say a big thank you to everybody for listening. And we're about to bring you another great giveaway here on C103. Now, I can't say I have any of the details of it because I don't. All I'm told is that Ken Tobin on Cork's More Music Breakfast next Monday morning at 8.15 will reveal all the details and will let you know a way that you can win. And it is your next massive way to win only here on C103. So next Monday morning, I'll be certainly tuned to Kensway 8.15 to find out the details of our next big giveaway. And it's just a kind of a thank you to each and every one of you for staying tuned and listening to us and being our loyal listeners here at C103. OK, some of your texts coming in. By the way, a couple of people were on about the lady who contacted us yesterday about the man in the hospital who wanted the nephew to go in and uh, see him. And, and uh, people obviously missed the text that I read out earlier, including this listener says, Hi Patricia, I've been thinking of that person that texted in yesterday about the relative in hospital. I hope that the nephew got in or gets in to see him. Well, I'm delighted to report that the nephew got in to see him yesterday. And a number of somebody else was saying, I went to bed thinking of that man trying to get the nephew in for 10 minutes. I know he went through my head last night uh, as well. But the lady who contacted us was on to say that the nephew got in to see him yesterday and it has made such a huge difference to the man. You know, it was just for the 10 minutes, just for him to see a friendly face and to have a chat. So we're, we're we, and we just want to wish that man a full, full recovery and hope he gets out of the high dependency unit and gets back home very, very quickly. So thank you. We have a lot of kind people, don't we, who even though we can't physically do something for that person, but it's nice that we, th- we think about them. But he was, I certainly thought of him. I, I have a tendency when, when I go to bed, I like to sort of sort of reflect on the day and try to do my gratitude diary and, and in my own mind and just to give thanks for anything nice that's happened throughout the day. It can be the smallest of, of things and if I'm not too tired, I like to just spend a couple of minutes unwinding doing that in bed. But I'll often reflect on stuff that's happened during the day and that man went through my mind I was thinking of, it, of him in the hospital trying to get the nephew in to, in to see him and I also thought of Katrina Toomey and the person who came looking for the toilet rolls couldn't get that person out of my uh, head uh, either so anyway he's he got in to see him and uh, it's it's all good. Uh, there's a question in for Jane Pickett, our resident vet. Thank you for that. Keep those coming because Jane will join us later on this hour on electricity and people noticing high electricity bills. Uh, a listener says, I pay so much every week off my bill and because of that, I'm always in credit. There's a very clever way. Well done and you're managing and budgeting so well. Little bit paid off every week and that way when the bill arrives in, no shock because this listener is always in credit. And somebody was that reflecting on the price of petrol and diesel uh, going up. Somebody said, Patricia, the cost of crude oil was $75 a barrel a month ago. Guess where it is today? It's heading above $93. The only way anything is going at the moment, unfortunately, is up. And those prices are rising all of the time. And you, uh, yeah, and we've, so we're battling that. We're battling the price 
of the barrel of oil on the world market. And then we're also, of course, in this country battling with the amount of taxes that are added to every single litre of petrol and diesel that we purchase. John in Cove says this one-off payment that we're waiting on the government to announce today, due to be confirmed today for the electricity, it could be up to €227 to every household. John reckons that's not going to make much of a difference to many people. But his big bugbearer today is, do we really need to have TV licence inspectors going around at the moment hammering, he said, on people's doors, looking to know if somebody has an up-to-date TV licence. John and Cove says they literally are hammering on those the doors of those who are struggling. Let us get over this tough period first before the TV licence inspectors are sent out and about. He is not happy about what's happening. And John said they're in Cove at the moment. Has anybody had a knock to the door? looking for your TV licence. And yeah, when you think of some of the families like Katrina Toomey in Cork Penny Dinners dealing with and people trying to put food on the table if the TV licence comes in and they don't have the money put away and oh, those you can get those stamps and buy them every week so that you don't get the bill. Because what is it? What is it? €160 Euro a year. And if that suddenly arrives and you weren't you, you might have been aware the TV licence was coming in and you need to put food on the table. I, I know where I'd be going. I, I know where I'd be going. And then to have someone arrive on your door uh, looking for your TV licence. Yeah, and John, there probably are a lot of people who've let that particular bill, they're not going to see that as an essential bill that has to be uh, paid. Anyway, John reckons they're in Cove at the moment checking up on people's TV licences. Editor in Carrigaline says just to try and help people out with electricity, if you're with the same electricity provider and you've been with them for quite a few years, it is worth ringing them because you will be out of contract by now. You can either switch, but even if you don't switch, Eleanor is aware of people who rang their provider who they were with and they got a €100 Euro loyalty discount off their next electricity bill. And Eleanor said it might help some people. What frustrates her, though, about her electricity bill, there's PSO levies, levies on it and sometimes you could be paying more from that than the actual units of electricity that you have used. It's the kind of the add-ons to the electricity bill that can be very, very frustrating and there's nothing you can do about reducing the cost of that for sure. Even if, you know, if you're trying to keep the lights off and not using electricity and trying to save that way but all the different levies that are there, they have to be paid. Mary gets an old age pension. She said, however, when the budget was announced last October, they announced there was five euro extra going to old age pensions but I think it went to all social welfare recipients in January when Mary went in to collect her pension she only got €4.30 extra she wants to know what happens to her other 70 cent and she said I don't have a private uh, pension that others some others get but she only got €4.30 I take it you're on one of the reduced old age pensions that came in a few years ago and it was to do with women who took time out remember all of that took time out to raise families and it was very very annoying the way the calculation was done for the old age pension what I would suggest that you do Mary is is contact a local your local citizen information centre 
and they'll talk it through and they'll find out for sure exactly why you got less. But I'm assuming that's that's what it is because the payment was made pro rata to the size of your pension. You're obviously on one of those slightly reduced ones. And then Danny, who was originally from Mitchellstown, contacted us. He's living in Dublin, has been for the past 17 years. I'm told he's listening to us on a smart speaker. Don't know if it was a smart speaker he won here or not. Good to have you listening to us, Danny. But he says due to the high costs of rents now in Dublin, Danny now has to leave Dublin. And he says he's hoping it's only going to be a temporary move. He said he can no longer go on making landlords richer with no future for himself. He says he makes a decent wage. But he said Dublin is becoming a city now only for the wealthy. He's heartbroken. He said he loves living in Dublin, loves his life today, but he just says he, he can't see any future. He, he had always hoped he would settle there, but he's now having to look to go further out, go out to Kildare uh, to try and uh, rent. He said it's so concerning for everyone when it comes to the high cost of uh, living. And what's really frustrating when you hear that and of course we had only earlier in the week I saw the latest survey out from daft.ie on uh, rents but I was reading yesterday that cuckoo funds are actually outbidding households by a massive premium and that's pushing families further away from owning their own uh, homes. Figures compiled by uh, BNP, their real estates, they said that what they are calling institutional buyers, they can pay as much as 32% above the asking price for a uh, house. And obviously that's completely outbidding somebody who's maybe a first time buyer, a young couple trying to buy a house. Large investors paid two point. Two seven billion for almost four thousand nine hundred pri- uh, private properties yesterday last year, and of course they bought them and then put them into the rental market. And the funds say they can afford to pay over the odds because the returns for renting out properties are so high in this country. These investors, the Cuckoo Funds, believe that rents are well underpinned by existing market imbalances and Ireland's demographic potential. So it means they can go way over the asking uh, price for a house and they know that they'll get their money back in rent, which is absolutely shocking. And they're outbidding probably a young couple who will end up then becoming the renter in that property and will end up paying back that mortgage for the Cuckoo Fund. Really, really shocking to read that. And an acute shortage of homes that's pushing up, obviously, the rate that rents are rising now to a four-year high. Rents rose by over 10% in the last three months of 2021 when you compare it with the previous year. This is the latest survey out from daft.ie. It means rental inflation is now at its strongest level since 2018 and the average monthly nationwide is now 1,529, double, double what it was in 2011. And they give a breakdown of, for us here in Cork, uh, Cork City rents in the last year went up 6.3%. Average rent now for a property in Cork City is 1,539. And these are normally just a three-bedded house is normally what they give the average rent for. In the county, rents went up even more. Rents went up just under 10% was the, what the rents went up in County Cork and the average rent for in the county towns is 1,217. And where poor Danny is talking about in Dublin, uh, they're off the Richter scale. And some of the highest rents in Dublin can average €2,258 Euro a month. And I read a piece 
again on one of the papers during the week and they were saying that when some when young couples are somebody like Danny on his own when people are paying rent most people the average rent that most people are paying if they instead were using that to pay a mortgage they could pay a mortgage of up to like something like three, uh, €350,000 what they're paying in rent would cover the cost of a mortgage that high which is just and it's that's the vicious circle that the person is in because the young couple can't put the money together to get the deposit together because they're paying so much in rent and then you've got these cuckoo funds coming in buying up all of the properties because they know that's the the chicken that's going to lay the golden egg for them because they know they'll put it out on the rental market so many people looking to rent and uh, they can make their money back very very quickly indeed really really frustrating and it's an issue that absolutely has to be looked into and hi Patricia this is lovely text in on depression and I hope that this gives hope to anyone maybe battling low mood or battling depression at, at the moment would you give your listeners some hope today as regards depression and particularly people who may be battling suicidal thoughts I was one on the brink and on the verge of suicide but I held out with time and ultimately got exceptionally good treatments. Now I am five years depression free. I accept now suicidal thoughts were short term thinking. You can change your thought patterns over a short period and you can feel good again. And that is a texter in from somebody who just describes themselves as a regular listener. Always good to have you along. Thank you for that. To 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Couple of bingos on tomorrow night, Friday, including a drive in bingo in Kildallery Creamery Yard, 8 o'clock tomorrow night, while bingo in Rossmore Community Centre also tomorrow night. That's at half past eight, and they've got a jackpot in 58 calls. But Mallow GAA due to the death of their club president, Sean Cooney. As a mark of respect, there'll be no bingo in the complex at tomorrow night. Mornabi Heritage Association and Mornabi Community Council are holding a commemorative event for those from the parish who gave their lives in the cause of Irish freedom in the War of Independence from 1919 to 1922. It's on next Sunday, 13th of February, with Mass at half past 11 in Burnford Church. There'll then be a wreath-laying ceremony at the monument at half 12. And fundraising is ongoing at the moment for Jester's West Cork Mixed Ability Rugby Team, who will be participating in the iMart World Cup in June. You can support the fundraising by taking part or contributing to their 5K sponsored walk also next Sunday. People are invited to gather in the square in Dunmanway, 2pm, for a five-kilometre walk around the town. Refreshments will be served after the walk. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Uh, hi Patricia, I'm inquiring if permanent TSB Bank would ever send a text if they suspect fraud on your account. Oh, well, it, de- it depends what the text actually looks like. I do know a number of years ago ago I woke to a text message from the bank saying that there was fraud on a credit card and it turned out that my card had been skimmed in in some way and I contacted them and and it eventually got sorted out and the credit card had to be cancelled and I had to get another credit card. It just depends on the wording of the text. We're all very nervous now when a text comes in to know if it's genuine or not because there's so many scams during the rounds. I mean certainly if it's a text that they're asking you to click on a link 
delete it. You can nearly be guaranteed that that is uh, a fraudulent text. But what I always say to people, in case there is suspected fraud on your account, ring Permanent TSB on a number that you know is permanent TSB and ask them and they'll tell you straight out if it's a fraudulent text or not but certainly do not click on any link that would come in on a text message even if it looks like it's come from the uh, bank Uh, Back to electricity Karen says Patricia I have discovered from my energy supplier that my next bill is going to be a three month bill would that be why the bills are so high, says Karen? Well, no, Karen. Unfortunately, your bill is going to be high because the cost of electricity has gone up. I don't know. Do they give an explanation as to why? Why you're going to have a three-month bill? You'll still pay the same amount for your electricity, the high amount you'll pay. But it just certainly, if it's a three-month bill, it will be a higher bill. Has anybody else heard from their electricity energy supplier that the bill, the next bill is a three-month bill? And Any explanation as to why that is? Haven't heard of that before, Karen. But that's not, you're obviously not on your own if the energy supplier has contacted you. But there's got to be a reason behind it. Now, we spoke about Jersey Island earlier uh, today and uh, Joseph Sullivan talking about how difficult it is going to be for him with the cable car being put out of action for maintenance work. And it's going out of action from the 1st of April. Not expected to resume until November and he needs to go out there every day in order to feed his animals and he's worried about people elderly people living out on Dursey Island and obviously there's the knock-on effect for uh, tourism and we mentioned at the time when I when I spoke about it that there is this huge huge plans by Cork County Council to upgrade the cable car board Panola had given the go-ahead in 2019 but unfortunately now it's the subject of a judicial review well Michael lives in uh, Castle Tommy and actually somebody did say were there any locals who had objected uh, to the development of the cable car and the glass-fronted visitor centre. And I was saying, hand on heart, I didn't think so because it was something that's very much going to be welcomed in the area because people living locally know how important the cable car is to Jersey Island, but also people locally knowing how important it is to bring tourists because it's an area that relies a lot on tourism for jobs and to sustain the area. So Michael lives on the Bear Peninsula in beautiful Castletown Bear. And he says, I predict the calling for a judicial inquiry into the granting of planning permission for the Jersey Island cable car project is utterly showing nothing less than the most arrogant actions of unknown faces. And I also feel it's contempt for on board Planola. Cork County Council and the wishes of the people of the Bear Peninsula and far beyond. Those responsible for such actions should be personally held responsible for revenue loss to the island and the Bear Peninsula. There is, there is no one above the law. It just goes to show how desperately we need a new planning act, not something with touches here and there, just tinkers around the edges. Might I also add that it is rather suspicious that the cable car is being repaired now over the summer months. Is it possible that the bird watchers are making sure that they'll be able to get out onto Jersey Island through the winter months? Remember, you they get millions from the EU during the year. That's one to check uh, out. Well, I don't, I don't know if that's the reason. I mean, Cork County Council say that the recent bad weather events, including Storm Barra in December, had impacted on the cable car's metal towers, and obviously that's the work that needs to be done on it. So obviously, they're not deciding the time uh, that it 
you know they only got damaged in December it's obviously been looked at and they, re- they need they need to do it and I'm assuming as well they possibly need to do the work during the summer months from a work point of view from a safety point of uh, view but yes if you were anyway suspicious and had a kind of a suspicious mind you might be thinking is it to do because Birdwatch Ireland are one of the group who are part of the judicial review along with a number of other parties they are not the uh, only ones okay there is a question in for Jane keep those coming please you can call 0818103103 a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Three, you can text or WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in the Market, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, uh, joining me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. Okay, let me go straight to a question in from uh, Jenny, who describes having a very boisterous 18-month-old Labrador choose anything he can get his teeth into, including this morning, a brand new pair of runners. Any advice to stop this habit, please? Oh, Oh dear. (laughs) It can be such a challenge, particularly in young dogs, because they learn about the world with their mouth, essentially. Um, So... There is a fine line, however, and I think if we're starting to kind of engage in destructive behaviour as tearing apart runners, then that's really, really dangerous for this dog. Because if, God forbid, it does eat some of that, whether it be part of the fabric or part of the runner sole, it can cause a really serious blockage in the intestine. Sometimes it can even require surgery, and then sometimes, you know, the outcome isn't so good. So it's really important to try and prevent it if you can. First thing I would try and do is just make sure that your dog has this kind of cognitive brain needs met so make sure it's going for lots of walks throughout the day and that it's not just kind of a a, you know a two-step march you're just walking for the sake of walking you're letting it engage and sniffing so it's learning about the world around using the same parts of its brain that would be using if it was chewing up runners and putting its mouth around things and learning about the world also distraction is a really good thing so if your dog likes a particular type of thing that it would like to put in its mouth and try and chew up try and find a dog safe toy that has the same kind of 
consistency to it. Um, so with runners, there's lots of, let's say the equivalent will be um, a stuffed toy that's robust um, and it would have, let's say, some harder little bits to it, some softer bits. So your dog is getting those kind of varieties of textures in its mouth, um, but it's in a dog-safe manner. Um, so I think you really just need to try and wean them off the runners and onto safer, safer toys. And if your dog does have uh, quite the sharp teeth, you might want to, you know, go for, let's say, the indestructible branded ones um, rather than your standard toy as well, if they're particularly good at pulling things apart. Because obviously we want to keep them safe and we want to keep them, you know, away from eating little bits and bobs of these things. So try and make sure that they're out and about, lots of activity, lots of mental stimulation and give them safer toys. Do they eventually grow out of it? Some do, some don't. Oh, um, is what I'd say. Yeah, Some okay. of them, you know, it's, it's, it's a phase of learning about the world. Others, they really just like the habit of pulling apart things. Okay. Uh, but generally, if they have enough mental stimulation, they'll fulfil that in other ways. Let's stay with young dogs. Uh, hi, Patricia. Could you ask Jane, at what age would she recommend to clip a puppy's toenails? Oh, okay. So this is quite a variable one. Generally, we see, uh, let's say, a lot of puppies that come to our doors for their, you know, second vaccinations or even a month or two later, the owners will say, oh, you need to clip his nails, they're really sharp. A lot of the time, we can't because there's actually not that much, um, let's say, excess nail there um, that we'd be able to clip. And a lot of the time, it's just because they're, they're jumping up and they might be causing a little bit of discomfort, let's say, if they're jumping up onto your legs. Really, the thing to do here is think, well, you know, are my dog's nails an appropriate length? regardless of their age, regardless of whether they're a puppy or an older dog. And generally that will be the case that if they're standing up upright, the very tips of their nails that are kind of, you know, the the main ones that will be in contact with the ground usually are literally just brushing the floor. You don't want them sitting on the floor or being pulled to one side of standing position. And equally, we ideally want them, don't want them so short that they're not making contact with the ground. So it's kind of a happy medium. The reason that we like them to just be in contact with the ground is then that if they're walked appropriately, kind of on slightly rougher surfaces, let's say the pavement, the sidewalk, tarmac, that kind of thing, and you know, it can act as kind of almost like a nail file, like an emery board, and they may get some normal wearing and keep them at a normal length. So it's very, very variable. So let's say one puppy that might be six months old that's been walked on a little bit of pavement every now and again and that keeps the nails low, may not require nail clipping at all. Whereas if their counterpart that maybe just walks on grass, just walks on short surfaces, and they might have some nail growth that might not be being filed down by a little bit of a rough surface, they might need nail clipping. So it's very difficult to say an exact age because it's very, very variable. But generally in young puppies, it, it's not necessary. Okay, Jer says, Hi, Patricia and Jane. I have a female paraquet. Her partner was sold and I rescued her. She eats budgie food and millet. I've tried everything. Fruit, nuts, vegetables, lettuce. Nothing works. She's a happy little punter. She's plenty of space and freedom, but I'd love to improve her diet. She has access to fresh water as well. Any suggestions, please? Okay, I'm going to put my hands up here and say I'm not the woman to answer this question. Okay. Uh, I must admit they are beautiful, beautiful birds. But as regards, let's say, exotic medicine and particularly dealing with the larger exotic birds, I wouldn't have a lot of experience. And, you know, they can have such specific needs, even between breeds of birds, that, you know, general recommendations are very, very difficult. So what I suggest in this case, this listener, is get in contact 
Um, I, I suppose ask your local vet if they feel comfortable with dealing with that question. But if not, they might be able to direct you towards a vet that's used, used to dealing with kind of birds, avian and exotic species. And they are usually quite specialist in the sense that they will know for each breed of bird exactly what's appropriate as regards fat protein content. And that can be very variable. And it's really, really important, particularly with these species of birds and exotic species, that their husbandry is right. So that means their food, their environment. And it really sounds like our listeners trying yeah, really hard to get that right. it sounds like Jara is, do- yeah. is doing everything right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so right, right to be worried, the fact that this bird is only eating budgie food and millet, it sounds like yeah. that's not probably a balanced diet for the bird. I would suspect not, but I would say I get, a, get, get somebody who's dealing with birds on a veterinary basis every day involved because they'll be able to give you exactly what that breed of bird would require and it sometimes can be quite niche. So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't like to send you off on the wrong road with a okay. general recommendation. Well I think it needs to be taken further. Well done. Hi, question please for Jane. My terrier, 12 years of age, is eating grass. Now it happens probably every 8 to 10 weeks. He will go out, eat the grass. It can last for up to two hours and then it stops again. Is there anything I could give her to stop doing this unusual behaviour? Okay, interesting. So grass eating can happen for a number of reasons. We always historically thought it would be if a pet was nauseous, so they want to throw up if they don't feel well for some reason. A lot of them will engage in grass-eating behaviour to kind of make themselves get sick. And we always thought this was the case, and in, in some cases it is. So if, our, if this listener always will see their pet throwing up after they've had these little bouts of eating grass, grass irregularly, then it might be that, you know, something has made them feel a little bit ill periodically. Um, and that may need a, a little bit of thought as to, well, has something changed in the diet around those few days before they engage in that grass-eating behaviour and then throwing up? Or are they unwell in other ways? Now, interestingly, in the last years, there is some research that has shown that some dogs really do just do grass-eating as habit. Um, so it can be something that's purely behavioural. In these cases, it tends to happen kind of more continuously, and it does sound like it's kind of a periodic thing that happens every few weeks in this dog, so not constant behaviour. I would say that as long as your dog is otherwise well in himself, eating, drinking, weight is good, you've noticed no other changes, and there's not vomiting associated with the episodes, it might be behavioural. But if you're in any way otherwise worried about your pet or you do notice vomiting associated with the episode, you need to have a little think about, well, what happens around the days that this happens? And if you have any concerns, visit your vet for a full physical exam. Okay, Margaret's been on. Hi, Patricia. Would you please ask Jane, at what age do you neuter a female dog? Okay, so in general, with small to medium breeds of dogs, kind of anywhere between six, eight, ten months is fine. Okay. Now there is some information that tells us that in when you have, let's say, a larger breed dog, so kind of over 20, 30, 40 kg at their adult weight, it may be beneficial to wait a little bit longer. Now, that is so that we're not interfering with the hormonal development um, at a stage where these dogs are not quite mature, because we do know that smaller to medium breed dogs mature at a much faster rate and are more mature earlier than their larger and giant breed counterparts. So normally in, let's say, a large breed or a giant breed dog, you will be talking about the 10, 12, 14 month range. Um, And I think the really important thing here is there's a lot of factors that play into that. And also it's risk versus benefit. So we just need to be mindful that, you know, in some of these pets, if they were to have a a kind of a a pregnancy at quite a young age, that in itself could be very, very dangerous for them. So you need to balance the, the likelihood of that happening, given your kind of environment at home and where they might be in contact with 
versus the benefits of maybe, you know, waiting and, and ensuring that they're kind of sexually mature at that point. So normally I would say smaller breeds, kind of six, eight, ten months. Uh, larger breeds kind of 10, 12, 14 months. Okay, stay on that theme because uh, Lucy wants to get her female puppy neutered when she comes of age but her dad, Lucy's dad is saying that you should allow a dog to have a litter of puppies first. Lucy's concerned about that. Okay, so I, this is still something that's kind of going around as as kind of wisdom of the years. It's an old wives' tale. Is there it? is absolutely no physiological benefit to letting a, a bitch have a litter of books first. And to be honest with you, we have so many beautiful dogs that are out there unwanted in this country that, you know, it has no benefit to the dog itself and all you're doing is serving to add to the population of unwanted dogs in the country. So I would definitely advise against waiting for the sake of waiting to give them a litter of books because it gives them no physiological benefit whatsoever. And is it the same cat? Exactly yeah, the same. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because you, you'll often hear that saying, oh, you should let them have, have their first litter, you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Okay, as always, mm-hmm. a mine of information. Thank you for that, uh, Jane. Have a lovely week and we'll talk next Thursday. You too, thank you. Good morning to you. That is uh, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. I mentioned somebody getting in a text from permanent TSB saying there was fraud on their account. A couple of people have been on to say, hi Patricia, I got that very same uh, text. Mary says a friend of mine got a similar text from permanent TSB uh, yesterday. Do you know how she knew it was a scam, says our Mary? She doesn't have a bank account with permanent TSB. If you, ways of trying to say your electricity Joe said he installed a prepaid power meter cost him 20 euro but it's a great way for budgeting because you just pay what you use and Dermot in Douglas heard somebody talk about ringing up your provider and getting a loyalty discount Dermot said be careful of that he did that last year and he ended up having to fight the company they kept forgetting to give him his loyalty discount Uh, he said he eventually had a fight in his hands but he did uh, get it but uh, he said it wasn't his plan when he signed up for it so be careful or keep an eye on it to make sure if you were offered a discount that you do actually get it. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is up next and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Look after yourself. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.